Welcome to Anyone Can Play Guitar, a podcast where we try to learn how to play every single Radiohead song on guitar in order. I'm Nick Kendallsberger. And I'm Austin Diaz. Okay, so we have moved beyond the Pablo Honey era. Oh my God, it feels so good. (laughs) I didn't realize how much of a slog it was until we got to this My Iron Lung EP. Uh Uh-huh. I was trying to make the best of the situation, you know, like trying to look for for the gold that was hidden, I guess, but my God, it's so easy now. Yeah, it's so much easier and it's just, it's... I mean, it's the same band when you click on this first track, My Iron Lung, which... Let's talk a little bit about the EP first before we get down to the actual title track. So this was uh, released in 1994. As I was reading, these were all in contention to be on the bends, but then at some point they just released this EP. Yeah, it seemed as though from what I read and what I was able to find on the internet, a lot of these songs were just done earlier than the final cuts we have on the bins, and these just came on the EP, and those other ones went out to be on the actual album. As will become a common common tale, this recording of the bins took a long time. And they, uh, they heart, you know, they, uh, they spent a lot of time trying to figure out which tracks on. So these are the ones that just didn't, didn't quite make it, but my God, these are all just wonders. Well, they're all just better than anything that we've done so far. Maybe the exception of Creep. Yeah. Just because Creep is a good single. Yeah. I mean, we'll get into it, but like these these actually sound like Radiohead. Creep, for as great as it is, I think doesn't really sound like what they turn into, which is what's so wild about this EP. So, yeah, let's just, let's get right into it, right? Sure. Let's get down to uh, the first track, which is My Iron Lung. about my iron lung oh my god i mean (laughs) the moment that i just sort of like tried i picked through this opening riff i only wanted to sit down with my guitar and play it i kept you know like stopping what i was doing and i was like "Ah, let me just play it one more time there's just something so addictive about how these chords go together and the notes and just you know the little bends no pun intended. <laughs> they just didn't have many good riffs, I guess, on Pablo Honey. That wasn't like a thing. We talked about in You how it was so interesting that the time signature made the intro kind of difficult, but the actual riff was dead simple. Right. Um, but this is wild because it changes as it goes along. Yeah, I love, um, you know, they have this on the Live at Astoria recording. and. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Tom's face when they hit that bend the first time. He's so <laughs> ecstatic. I mean, and he's not somebody that looks happy most of the time. 
uh-huh. and the, but they hit they hit the like, and he's like, and he, yeah, he's shaking his head. And we should say that is actually the basic track for the recording was recorded at Astoria, the one concert we've mentioned at least eight times on the podcast already. So if you haven't watched that, please go do that now. Everyone. Uh, so they re-recorded his vocals, um, but yeah, the the guitar that's that's Johnny playing it live. And my God, I just love every guitar part in this whole song. I love the verse part where I mean, at first there's no guitar except for Ed's uh, background noise, but mm-hmm. then the comes in, and then they kind of repeat the opening riff, but changing it again it's amazing it's just amazing why do you think it sounds so ominous this song you know there's a lot of minor chords here and tom which we haven't even talked about yet uh, his lyrics have totally changed from pablo honey this is a completely different side of him instead of being personal or poetic they're just very matter of fact and deeply creepy Mm-hmm. So <laughs> my favorite line is that my brain says I'm receiving pain, a lack of oxygen from my life support, my iron lung. When, did he just write that down and be like, yep, that's a that's the lyric now. He brings up the metaphor of the iron lung because it was sort of a reaction against the success of Creep that Creep made them so big that it kept them going as a band and financially successful and all this good stuff, but they felt like it was this machine that was controlling them now. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're stuck in an iron lung, I guess, back in the 30s or 40s or wherever that was, you were, you couldn't move. You were just totally inside this lung and except for your head, I guess, stuck out, right? Right. I guess that's how it worked. I mean, (laughs) which is a pretty- During the polio epidemic- and it's a very striking way to start, but it's definitely not like a pop song. No, and I, I, I was trying to investigate also why it's not a pop song and why it sounds so menacing. One thing that I came across is it sort of G major, sort of. Sort of, yeah. I mean, G is the dominant tone, right? And so it has this G chord, and then but then it goes to the C minor. So C major is actually what would be the subdom like if I looked up it up with G major the subdominant is the C major and okay. subdominant is used to kind of in classical music to sort of provide relaxation right the dominant so the D major would be to bring more tension into the song and then the subdominant is relaxing but the subdominant would be C major but what they do is they go to C minor Both in the intro and during the verse. And so that you have almost the tone of the relaxation and like almost with the bass, that relaxes. But then when the guitars Mm -hmm. come in with the notes that make it minor, it gives us this really sinister like, oh, this is not relaxing. And then instead of sort of opening up during the chorus to give you that release, Mm -hmm. it goes crazy. (laughs) Yeah. And does the... And then goes to a G minor, so we get flipping the G. Right. And then to a C7. So these are all chords that don't give you anything to stand on. And then this wild chord at the end. I mean, it's just an E flat fifth, right? E flat fifth, yeah. Um, Which is not completely crazy, but also crazy. I mean, and they are just jazz chords that I've all played before when I was in a jazz band in middle school because I was awesome. 
Yeah, um, of you know, even this chord I played, but it doesn't sound jazzy at all. It does no, not sound. I mean, it's not a jazz like this. Full of jazz chords, this song, and it doesn't sound mm-hmm. like jazz in the slightest. It comes out of nowhere. That mm. really loud part, because you, you're as you pointed out, it's already a, a weirdly ominous song. They're they're playing with expectations that uh, we don't realize that we have. I read something about you know through most of the 17th, 18th, and 19th century, if. Um, music wasn't moving towards this subdominant or subdominant um people would be confused right and so like we're just mm-hmm. sort of trained to have relaxation it's just convention it's not essential but we have convention around like go to the subdominant we have relaxation and they're playing with that i don't know if they do it on purpose just mm-hmm. as we don't quite realize why it unnerves us when it's a c minor and not a c major oh my god and we haven't even gotten to johnny's guitar solo yet which is wild as well he was very distinctive on songs in Pablo Honey, but here he really comes into his own. His playing style is so unique. It sounds like he's pulling wires. It's mm-hmm. not a fluid technique that he has. It's like he is just using the guitar in a way that no one else has. Does that make sense? It, it makes sense, but I always, especially with this song and then going forward, what I always hear with him is this sort of frustration with the guitar. I feel like he plays it as though he's frustrated with the limitations of it. And yeah. you can you can have that a bit with like this, um, you know, that. It's this, I looked it up. <laughs> um, it's chromaticism <laughs> where okay. he's only he's doing, he's only doing the half steps, right? And he's introducing yeah. that into what's kind of been a diatonic song. Diatonic means it goes through the. It obeys a little bit the notes that we would expect with the G chord, but subverting these expectations. And then he comes in with this, um, you know, like that riff and this, this chromaticism is supposed to kind of heighten tension and then resolve, but he never lands on a note that resolves it for us. He always stays yeah. outside of the chromaticism and it's almost as like, but the way he plays it is that you almost feel as though he wishes there were even more notes in between, right? <laughs> that he could even create just more noise yeah. And get further and further away from like these expectations of the chords. So the the guitar solo it starts out like kind of really basic. And then instead of like doing some wanky bit at the end, he just sort of it's like it collapses on itself and to do where he's doing it on the offbeat to sort of catch up almost or slow the song down so he can go back at it again. Yeah. Um Oh, that's a really good way to put it. But it's a weird, It's this is a weird song, but it's a single. And I, I do have to admit that before I started learning this song, this was not anywhere close to a song that I liked or that I loved on the bends. Like I probably would have ranked it towards the bottom. Yeah, on the album, I probably would have too, if I hadn't gone back, and even if I had gone back and listened to the album, if I hadn't tried to learn it, I would have been like, yeah, I mean, it's that song. I mean, they sort of bury it. I mean, it's what? That's Track true. number eight. Right, on the bends, it's towards the back um, half of the and, album. And there's nothing on, there's nothing that comes before it really, with the exception maybe of Just, that prepares you for this song. Yeah. If you didn't know it was a al- single. It's almost sort of a preview of Paranoid Android. Yeah. Um, and Paranoid Android will do a lot of things better. <laughs> but um, all these different parts, how they just kind of don't, it doesn't make sense that they're together, but they just sort of cram them together. Mm-hmm. It does feel like maybe they repeat 
the opening riff like one too many times. And with Paranoid Android, it's all about sort of just cutting out all the excess. Right. I, I do hear that, but all all in all, I'm very impressed. I mean, beyond impressed, I guess. <laughs> I mean, it's also like the second to last in the chord book, it's called The Middle. <laughs> Again, for some reason, it's, well, I mean, not, I try to look into it. I mean, it sound, it's almost the most menacing part of the song. And it's the only, right. it's the only part that it's only major chords, but it's also, it's completely out of the G major scale. And it doesn't uh-huh. really fit it with the G minor either. This B flat, C, D flat, right? It's just going in and out of like anything that we've heard before. And it That's doesn't right. resolve. You know, it's always a question of, you know, did they mean to do that? Or is it just something that, Tom or Johnny or Colin, I don't know, came across as like, nope, go back down. And the lyrics here are pretty outstanding. The line, and if you're frightened, you can be frightened, you can be, it's okay. Which is almost more frightening than if he had spelled it all out. Why is it okay to be frightened? Especially that second, you can be, right? Right. It's like patting us on the back, like, you can be, it's okay. And he's like, no, it is not okay. Not okay. (laughs) This is not okay. I don't know what's going on. So it's safe to say we like this song. I find it okay. (laughs) (laughs) This just, I mean, man, after you go through Pablo Honey and you get to this song, you're just like, oh, it's going to be okay. Because we were pretty down by the end of the last, by that last Pablo Honey episode. And we were even talking about songs we liked too. And it was still like, I don't know, man. <laughs> right. I mean, even a song like Blowout, which is fun. When you learn it on the guitar, you're like, okay, well, I have sat down with it for five minutes. and I know how this song goes. Yeah. Let's move on because we have way more to talk about yeah. in this episode. Yeah. Um, Sorry. No, no problem. It's just we could spend a whole hour on this one song. It's that good. Yeah. Especially in comparison to what we've been talking about. But let's get to the next song on the EP, which is Trickster. Lost in the brain, the air is sacred here. Up on the rooftops, out of reach. Trickster is So, Trickster, it just makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Talk about like curling up in a big warm blanket, and it's so aggressive. (laughs) I mean, I feel like it's a big warm suffocating blanket. (laughs) But what does that say about me where I'm just like, I I put this song on and I'm just like, oh, this is just, this feels like Radiohead. I just want to wallow in the sorrow. The, The line that always gets to me in this one is the truant kids a can of brick dust worms who do not want to climb down from their chestnut tree. Be still, my heart. I feel like it's singing a love song. But what is what is even me. going on in this that line? Okay, like so, who doesn't want to climb down from the chestnut tree? Like the truant kids, right? And they have a can of brick dust worms. Is this some sort of Englishism that we're not that we're not keen to? Yeah, I looked up brick dust worms. Is a name of a bug that is 
not called that in the United States, but I can't remember exactly what it is. And what follows is like the long white gloves police tread carefully. He's not spelling out what's happening. He's just showing you these images Mm -hmm. and it makes it so creepy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's shreds of a world that I want to live in, which I don't know what that says about me. It conjures these images without really being imagistic language. Um, It just says things like lost in the mountain, rust in the brain. I always think about Pitchfork reviewed the Benz or reviewed their first three albums and but they went out of their way to talk about the My Iron Lung EP at one point in that review. And they said that the five B-sides demonstrated a band whose collective heads seemed to crack open and spill out new ideas, moving the group away from the dour dead end of grunge signifiers. For some reason, this song just feels like they open on a completely new world and they'll sort of go down this one. We'll talk about it later on some of the other songs. They show a band, what they could have gone to because they do it so well. But this one, I mean, I feel like even the beginning of uh, Paranoid Android or Knives Out or this is a style that they're going to continue with. This certainly isn't the best song, but man, I would, this seems like so much like Radiohead Mm-hmm. I would take this over every song on Pablo Honey. Yeah, this could have been and a single and they never would have made it big, but I would have loved them. This song demonstrates texture in a way that we were talking a lot about how it wasn't on Pablo Honey. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have this, um, that like with that. If I found it right, it's what it's called like an inverted pedal point. So the higher notes don't change, and you're walking down the bass notes. Whereas mm-hmm. otherwise, you usually have the bass notes that changes, and then you have the higher notes that can even go out of the chord scale, or the expected oh. chord notes. Yeah. And so you have this inversion already, but then it also it does, as I was talking about earlier, it, because, because it lands on that D, that's mm-hmm. the dominant fifth. And so that like it goes to this amping up the tension, but they only play a D five. They don't play the D minor. Like the D minor would be the dominant key, right? So you have you would have this like so that one note changes it just a little bit, but they don't do that. They never do that. Like they again, it's like sort of this flirting with the expectations that we as listeners don't even know that we've sort of had built into us, mm-hmm. and they keep it there. And then that when they go to the C minor. That is the subdominant because of the lyrics. It doesn't sound relaxing at all. And the way that Tom sings it, it's also then just keep playing with this like. And then a key change to a G. I mean, not not a key change. It goes, they go to the parallel key of G major, which Which doesn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think you would do. You thought, you think you would go to G minor. Right. And so, you know, they use what should be the relaxing chord to an unrelaxing effect. <laughs> and then they go to the parallel key, and then then they change back just by going to the G5, which is basically just the... And another thing they do to throw you off there is they move to 3-4. Mm-hmm. Um, they just lop off a beat on the first for the first line. Yeah. So it goes basically a measure of three four, and then back to four four, which it's like they take a bar and <laughs> like a lead pipe and take your knees out. <laughs> yeah, I I will say like the it's not a catchy song, and the chorus is just hey, right? Hey, <laughs> hey. I mean, it makes sense that this is a B side to me, mm-hmm. but I almost love it more that it's a B side. Sometimes like B-sides can mean so much to someone uh, like these that we're going to find out on the bends. And this just sort of seems like a perfect B-side. Like 
I don't want this on the bends. I want this as a B-side. You need to work to find this song, I feel like. It pays off to be a Radiohead completist, meaning that it pays off to try and find everything that Radiohead has put down on tape. And this is just a perfect example of like why it pays off to be a Radiohead completist, why it pays off to try to listen to everything that they've done, more or less from this EP on. And you also see that borne out in sort of online discussions. I mean, you had that from the Pitchfork, but just in general, people seem to love this EP. But this wasn't an EP that I loved before. Like, I I liked these songs, but this collection is not something I ever put on. But I guess that's just because I I kind of got them all willy-nilly. I downloaded them from Napster, so it was just this big pile of B-sides. And I didn't quite know where they came from. And I, to be honest, I almost liked that a bit better. I mean, because this song, for example, stumbling across it as a B-side sort of just, you know, it seems to come out of the ether when it was from Napster. And you're like, yes. That's true. This and maybe like talk show hosts later, I was like, this is Radiohead. It doesn't sound like other stuff, but. Well, okay. So we both like this song too. This is funny. Yeah. We're, uh, we're going to use all the hyperbolic words before we get even to the main album. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying, I'm trying to, uh, hold myself back. All right. Well, you know, let's move on. Yeah. Then. That's let's because get... we've already talked a long time. <laughs> we've already talked a long time. We should get to <laughs> the next song, which is Lewis Mistreated. Bumped out again by your only friends. The smell of fear is thicker than you think, don't you? All right, Nick, what do you think about this one? This riff is pretty simple. The opening riff. But I really like this song a lot. I dig it. I dig it. (laughs) I also just play this one all the time. I'm just like, I just kind of mute it. It's like fun, like. Yeah. So I, I like so much about this song, but just to, to play devil's advocate, I'm, I'm going to say something I don't like about it first. So we're, it, we kind of break it up. I do think that the chorus here especially is really takes the song down. So the... the save it doesn't bring the song up. I just kind of feel like it's stuck in there. And especially since it's the title of the song, it's the least memorable part of the song. Mm-hmm. So I always forget the name of this song. Aha, uh-huh, funny. When I was came back to it, I'm like, I don't remember Lewis mistreated. And then as soon as that opening riff happens, you're just like, yes. <laughs> yeah. True. And um, yeah. But what I love about the riff is that it it immediately goes from that pretty simple opening riff to the verse immediately changes tone. I, don't, I just feel like it undercuts what you're hearing in the opening riff. And then all of a sudden in the middle of the verse, it's like you're back in um, I Can't. Mm-hmm. The... Which it feels like such a fascinating way to use that knowledge that they had by doing songs like I Can't mm-hmm. and just throwing it in for five seconds into this song that has all these distinct little parts. Yeah, I mean, I I have a little bit of a theory about this song. Um, oh, okay, please. please because it's one of the, I think, a handful of songs, less than a handful of songs that they never played live. 
as far as I could, I saw it commented somewhere that I tried to track down lots of set lists to see if they had played it live, and it doesn't seem as though they have. Especially because you say that, yeah, like that one at the end of the verse that reminds you of I Can't. There's just, there are elements of what they were doing on Pablo Honey in this song. Even that, again, it's chromatic uh, verse, you know, with that. You know, it's just dancing chromatically around the tonic G that they have. That's They also did that a little bit on Pablo Honey, but it's just perfected as much as it can be, this sort of song. Yeah. Like, this is still better than everything on Pablo Honey. <laughs> it's, a Pablo, <laughs> it's a Pablo Honey-ish song, and I think they, did, they just had to get it out of their system. Yeah, it, they're just so good at this, though. This sort of shows a side of the band that they could have kept developing. Yeah. And... They would have gotten even better, but they were just like, nah, we're, you know. You know, they sort of, uh, on on Palo Alto, in uh, which is an okay computer B-side, they sort of get back to this sort of thing. But I feel like if they had kept going down this road, they would have been lumped in with other Brit pop bands. Mm-hmm. And they were just like, we're having none of that. Yeah. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, keep us as far away from those other bands as you can. And even though I like a lot of Brit pop, that it's really admirable for them that they were just like, nope. I think they had this song, or Tom had this song, and they, you know, rounded it out, realized, okay, we can do this. This is not where we want to go. And we're not even going to play it live ever again. Can you imagine writing a song this good and just being like, yeah, let's just, yeah, throw it aside. I mean, put it on the beat. They're like, B-side. they're huddled together. Like, are we going to play Lewis Mistreated? It's like, shut up, Colin. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why Colin would be the one that would want to play it, but... No, I don't know. I, would Ed? Probably would, Ed. Probably, I could see Ed, Ed getting into playing this song. One thing it does that, that Pablo Honey didn't do is towards the end, it, it brings in the riff, but then it adds that A7 mm-hmm. chord that gives it a different dimension. And so the song changes as it goes on. So you're hearing a new element of it. But so, yeah, we both really like this song, even though it's not indicative of exactly of where they're going to go. Right. Which brings us to Punch Drunk Lovesick Sing Along. this one i i uh, it's boring oh it's, oh man so we have our first misstep <laughs> on the ep the chord progressions are interesting sort of i just find it sort of dour and boring i think that spells some doom for some of the later stuff okay. i'm gonna make a prediction um, okay let's hear it what is your i just prediction? think that like there's um there's sort of a lull of albums for me coming up around king of limbs hail to the thief territory where i has sort of resonance. This song has sort of resonance with some of the songs that they play later. And I'm looking forward to see if I like them again, but this is just sort of indicative of me of like, I don't like this type of Radiohead song. And it is definitely a type of Radiohead song. I think, I don't know how you feel about it. I feel conflicted about this song. The first few times I heard it, and especially when I was trying to learn the guitar parts, I was just like, I don't care. (laughs) I just want to move on. But it is sort of enveloping once you get into it. 
I, I think I sort of classify this as a noble failure in that there's some weird things going on in here if you have the patience to stick around. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 and that's why I sort of respect it. There are very, yeah. there's some parts that are really interesting. And I would rather them do something that is just out of their reach than go back to, to hearing Pablo Honey again, for sure. There are definitely some parts of this song I really like. I like the... I like that part. What chord is that again? That chord is amazing. It goes from uh, E flat to D minor, mm -hmm. F, to C minor, and then right. E minor. It's Yeah, that's a really lovely phrase. And they don't use it that much. <laughs> they do it They do it like once, right? They uh, do it a couple times. But yeah. like, if I came up with something like that, I'd be like, just roll that one up again. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> and then I think that it sort of is beautiful during the chorus, but... It doesn't quite work as well as I, I, you know, the beautiful girl. So that C add nine sort of gives you something to stand on after the beginning. Mm -hmm. But it probably takes too long to get there. Well, that's the main reason I don't like this song. I don't need this to platform to stand on to sort of better understand the song. I don't, I okay. like the verse again. And I also like the verse lyrics much more than I like this chorus because I can't figure out if I should take it seriously or ironically. Yeah. It's really hard to know. I mean, it doesn't fit at all with the, the first verse when you're going in. It seems like out of the blue. Right. I mean, it's just like kind of going back to that pitchfork quote that you read. Either they have all these ideas spilling out. Yeah. Right. And this is this is definitely a nice idea that this song is sort of wrapped around, especially the that pre-chorus progression of the E flat, D minor, F, C minor, E minor. I mean, that's just that's a wonderful idea. But then it resolves into that G, C, at 9, which is something that they did multiple times on Pablo Honey, right? It's sort of like huh. returning to too comfortable chord change. It is like they had the first pre-chorus idea and then the they didn't quite know what to do with it yet. And maybe they get yeah. better at it. And so I'm actually hoping that I appreciate some of the songs that are in, in this vein when we get to them. Because mm -hmm. they know better what to do with them. Here they just don't, in my opinion. Right. Well, let's let's move on then. So the next track is Permanent Daylight. So, Nick, I'm going to guess that you like this song. Um, why would you say that, Austin? Um, it just sounded... I The first time I listened to it again and played it, I was like, this is a Nick song. I'm not quite oh, sure I... why. It's had this sort of like droning, almost shoegaze quality that you seem to dig. It's almost exactly a song that I would love. It's so embarrassing, but it's true. I can't, I can't deny my love for Permanent Daylight. This is outstanding and totally unexpected from them. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that sounds like this on Pablo Honey. No. I love everything about this song. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. I don't want to gush too bad, but this is another just a perfect B-side in that Tom's almost not here at all. Yeah. He sings one verse 
but it's his voice is buried in the mix. This is all about the interplay between the band and the way that they play off of each other. Basically, just an outstanding instrumental. So I obviously would marry this song, <laughs> but how do you... How, I mean, this... Okay, so this is like... This is sort of their Sonic Youth-inspired song, which I, I totally hear um, in the way that Sonic Youth used a lot of tunings for their guitar, that sort of insistent beat. Um, but there's also some new order in here, and then I just think it's it's outstanding. I like it much more than I expected to. Okay. And I liked it more when I started to learn it on the guitar, which I assume would be the case if I tried to learn some Sonic Youth songs on the guitar. Radiohead is, I'm realizing more and more, is sort of my starting point for music. Even even was in the Radiohead before I'd heard a lot of the Beatles, if wow. we want to put it that way. I mean, like, you know, I'd heard, you know, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, or something like that, just what was on the radio, and then, like, Radiohead was the first one I really got into, and so, you know, when I hear that this is our Sonic Youth song, I'm like, okay... What does that mean? Yeah, and so that I go doesn't back, mean anything. Yeah, it doesn't don't. mean anything yeah. to me. Like I go back and listen to some Sonic Youth. I'm like, ah, okay, I see what's going on here. I'm not going to listen to this again. Please don't hate me. It's this perfect Venn diagram of Sonic Youth and shoegaze. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where you have the the chord tunings of like or the guitar tunings of Sonic Youth, but then that the dreamy aspect mm-hmm. of shoegaze. It, it's a very complex song. There are lots of chords. The time signature just they just drop beats left and right. Yeah, um, and it doesn't work if you don't drop those beats. I mean, I right. to learn the song, I had to count it out in my head. Almost like one and two and three and four and one and two and three and four and one and two, one and two and three, four. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it, and they do sort of. I mean, like it does change at the with the outro, like the. Ooh, you got that to sound really good. Yeah, I've that, I've, that I've, I've I've played a lot this song a lot. I mean, like. <laughs> It's so much fun to play on the guitar, even if it's not near my favorite song even on the CP, but it's so much fun to play on the guitar. But yeah, so this is another one of those B-sides where I just, I'm glad this isn't on the album. This is this right format for it because um, it's a part of the band that I'd love to hear, but they don't really go after this that much anymore. But I'm so glad that we have it in this form. And I would love, if they played this song in concert, I would just be so happy. Yeah. <laughs> I would just like, yes. <laughs> so yeah, you're totally right about me and my appreciation of Permanent Daylight. You were just, I'm that easy to pick. All right, let's, let's, let's keep moving here. Okay. Uh, the next song is Lozen. The next song is Lozen. Can you say it? Lozen. No, no, I can't say it. Hold on. <laughs> Lozenge of Love. So this song apparently takes its name from a line in a Philip Larkin poem, Sad Steps. I I probably have read it at some point. I Often in winter, I turn to Philip Larkin to slip even deeper into that sort of winter depression. <laughs> um, that keeps you all warm and cozy. Yeah, yeah. That. <laughs> gotta, just got to like sort of nestle, nestle into that and stay warm and hibernated for the winter. 
This one is starts with a very interesting uh, picking pattern here. How do you feel about this? I looked at the picking pattern for a couple of minutes, and I was like, okay, yeah, but also when you listen to this song, he kind of sticks there, but then it's also just a lot of ad-libbing. You know, and I can I can just sort of approximate it. I'm not a good enough guitar player, I think, to really play it like it should sound. But for me, this shows, this is one of those songs that shows that, like, Tom is actually an excellent guitar player. Because he, he's playing this part, I imagine. Because it's just Tom. I, don't know. I think it's just Tom and Johnny. I'm pretty sure that Johnny's playing the, you know, like the vocal trailing melody. And I think this is Tom picking on the guitar. And I think you also just watch him with live performances and stuff. And there's some somewhat complex guitar parts that he's not even looking at his guitar. He's just sort of like knocking it out. And I think that's sort of an underappreciated aspect of him as a lead man. He can he can also play. I mean, he's, he's an amazing singer, but he's an amazing guitar player as well. I have to admit that I, th- this isn't a style that I am familiar with at all. I've heard it sort of compared to 60s folk rockers like Fairpoint Convention. Um, it's just not a style that I play that often. So I find this one particularly difficult, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And I should, part of me wants to not like this song, but it is really, really beautiful. <laughs> And especially the the vocal line when it's doubled with the guitar, I just find it really gorgeous. Yeah, see, I'm like, take it out. Nope. Oh, you want to take that out? Want, That's the I best just, part. I just want, <laughs> I just want the picking and Tom's voice. I, I don't <sighs> like that tendency in any. I I can't think of a song that I like that does this. Okay, I'm going to defend it here. Nope. It's not like it is it's mirroring the the line to sort of bulk it up. It's almost like it's coaxing Tom York's voice to go up. It it gives it some stability to the song because it's such an unusual acoustic guitar part. It's hard to know where you would be. Mhm. But you're not buying any of this, are you? No. I mean, <laughs> it sounds good. It's like it really sounds good what you're saying. I appreciate it. Yeah. I I don't like the song that much. I, you know, I, I, I don't even. I don't like the song that much either. But it is, it's well done for what it is. Is how I feel. Yeah, I will say that I probably won't be playing this song very much after we're we're done with this. No, it's not much of a song. I think it's. Uh, I think they had the interesting picking pattern, and we're just like, let's roll with this. I don't know if it's also okay. that, like, I, if I really concentrate, like I said, I can approximate the picking pattern, but I can't in any way try and then sing. <laughs> you got to focus all your attention right. on the guitar. Right. There's no room left. You know, which to, I also like, have yeah. to do with Permanent Daylight, but I feel like that's, for me at least, when I'm playing the guitar, that's more interesting to yeah. figure that out. Whereas this, okay, um, I'm not doing this perfect. I don't have the motivation to do this perfect. And... When I don't do it perfect, there's not that much here to like sink my teeth into. Mm-hmm. I find, I mean, like this, I mean, the opening chord that they play around with is really beautiful, even especially with that drop D. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't think there's, there, we need to spend too much time here. I, I do think that York's voice at the end, especially, just gets so high when you really need me. Yeah. It's really need me. I, can't, I couldn't even get close to singing that high, but I do like that part a bit. I, you know, it's a it's a solid B side. I would be happy to to find this as a B side for a band I loved. Yeah, um, and I think I did listen to it a bit, and it's like, okay, now I've listened to it. All right, that's it. Good. Let's move All on. Right. <laughs> we come to the last song. 
You never wash up after yourself. forgot this song existed it's the you know the last song on the ep but this is not a song that i was very familiar with and the similarity with the uh, house of the rising sun in the very beginning just kind of immediately threw me off and i couldn't get i couldn't immediately appreciate it and then when you start when i started learning to play it i just it was like my god there's so many chords <laughs> it was just like why does this song need to move around so much and I almost gave up but I did push through and I have an appreciation for this song more than I thought I would when I first heard that um well you're talking to someone who didn't have to relearn this song because I've been playing this song kind of more or less on and off for 20 years <laughs> what <laughs> really yeah you know one I didn't have that association with house of the rising sun because um, uh-huh. I just hadn't heard the song. People might you be, heard this song before House of the Rising right. Sun. People were probably screaming like liar if they're <laughs> listening to it. Yeah, I had a sheltered upbringing. I apologize. So I hadn't heard House of the Rising Sun, and I also, I think, helpfully hadn't heard Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen um, oh, because okay. there were some similarities there as well. You learned both of them on the guitar, and so for me, this just blew my mind. I don't, I don't really see they listed as different chords but i just find it as like you know step down variations so i don't when i learned it i didn't think of like i have to learn how many i mean one two whatever 10 different chords <laughs> i can't count this is not a counting podcast no um, it's not you know and then it just repeats 11 we got 11 right i think and then um it's right in my I don't like to sing in front of people, but singing by myself, it's right in my vocal range. So did you play this when we were freshmen in college all the time? Yeah, but I think I only played it when I was by myself because I also liked to sing along with it. I I didn't play it in front of people. Because we played a lot of songs together freshman year and I guess senior year too when we lived together in college. You must have retreated to your room to play this one. I did. I mean, you know, it's, okay. and it's like one of the ones, like I, I just, for some reason, the chord changes stuck in my head. And so if I ever found myself sitting with a guitar for an extended period of time, I would play this song. Yeah, I, I, I totally get that. Because once I got past my just sort of frustration of yeah having to learn all the chords, <laughs> I, I, do, I do find myself unconsciously playing this song. Mm-hmm. Because it's something, I mean, it's the same part repeated three times. But I, I do like the lyrics, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everything is starting to die. I mean, they're deliciously <laughs> depressive. You know. <laughs> the dust settles, the worms dig, spiders crawl over the bed. Yeah. But, <laughs> and then I do like the closing, the yesterday's meal is hugging the plates. Mm-hmm. You never wash up after yourself. Yeah. Because where did that person come from? Right. You know, on Pablo Honey, he sort of had this lyric tick where... He used you a lot, either as a dress or as somebody addressing him or something. We talked about with the first EP, there's only one song that didn't have a version of the second person pronoun in it. And then in this EP, does it come up? 
Maybe a couple times. It's not prominent. It is not nearly as prominent. It's not in no. the song titles, and they, but it, so it's all the more sort of surprising when you have this. I don't even know if it's perspective shift to this. You never wash up after yourself, but it's just all of a sudden this very prominent title of the song, which is a change from the focalization, let's say, of the rest of the lyrics. So this is a um, a totally solo Tom recording, and apparently the other members of the band didn't even know it was being recorded. <laughs> mm-hmm. So apparently you can hear Phil Selway's drums at some point, um, but I haven't sort of investigated that deeply. But this was just caught offhand, and I I do think that this is is as good as this song can be. I don't I don't want the rest of the band in this one. What would they even do? I love the I love this song. I have loved this song for a long time. But you know, it also is just the prototypical example of, you know, critics of Radiohead who think, okay, people just listen to that to be sad. This is like depressive music. This is like And you're like, well, yes it yeah. is. <laughs> Your point? <laughs> Your point is uh oh, one thing is how do you play this song? Um so when you start on the D minor, do you just play a regular D minor? Yep, I play that regular I I've trained the pinky to reach okay. over. See I, my pinky is not happy about doing the crossover on the first D minor C. Yeah. So I have to start the D minor with my pinky. Nope. And then use my uh, ring finger. But you're saying that if I play this song for 20 years, my pinky will behave behave itself. Yeah. And get over there. <laughs> it will. But yeah, okay, so I'm, I'm, this story is amazing. Yeah, I definitely have more appreciation for the song than I thought I would. Yeah, it's a great way to end the EP. It's a really, really solid EP. I'll, I would take basically all of this over Pablo Honey. As a unit, it even holds together better mm-hmm. for some reason. Yeah, it's somehow more cohesive. So after we move past this, then the next episode is The Benz. Are you ready for The Benz? I'm ready. So we're going to start with the first half of the album. Let's run this down. We have Planet Telex, The Benz, High and Dry, Fake Plastic Trees, Bones, Bones or Nice Dream? Bones and, and then, then Nice Dream. Then Nice Dream. Those are some heavy hitters right there, but I think we can do it. Yeah, I mean, it might. we might talk for about five hours. Yeah, I mean, you have that one-two punch of high and dry and fake plastic trees, which is like my adolescence. Okay. I I uh, I cannot wait to talk about the very first song, but we'll we'll get there. Yeah. We'll get there. All the songs on the Anyone Can Play Guitar podcast are by Radiohead and performed by Nick Kendallsberger and Austin Diaz. 